When we're talking about the parable of the two sons, it's a parable that I haven't heard a lot of sermons about because it's in, only in one of the Gospels, and it's in kind of a weird place. In order to, to really explain it, I need to give the context of what just happened. And so some of the things I'm going to kind of, we're going to go for a little drive, and we're getting somewhere. I'm, I'm, lay, I'm laying the introduction. Some of the stuff may not seem like they tie together, but they will in the end. So buckle up and let's go. So Jesus had just had the triumphal entry. This is towards, this is the, the end of his, his ministry time. It's this final week. Just had the triumphal entry. Came into Jerusalem. People are, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed The whole town comes out. People from the villages come out. And they, they welcome him. His disciples are with him. And can imagine the disciples who've walked with him to this time be going into that and knowing, okay, we are part of something crazy. So he goes and he, he enters Jerusalem and he goes to the temple and he cleanses the temple. He sees that there's money changers and people are charging people for sacrifices and other things. So he makes a whip and he chases them out of the temple. It says, my house, my father's house will be a house of prayer. Then he leaves Jerusalem to go back to Bethany. On the way, he sees a fig tree that looks like it's got figs on it. I don't know how, I don't know fig trees that well. I don't know what it looks like, but it looks like it's got figs on it. Jesus goes up to it, there's no figs, and he curses the fig tree. And they, and they walk on. They go to Bethany, spend the night in Bethany, come back the next day. Disciples see the fig tree, and it's dead. And he's like, that's the fig tree that Jesus just cursed, and now it's dead. Then he goes back to the temple. And I'm sure that there was not a triumphal entry into the temple. Their security team probably was on the lookout for Jesus. He had just came and basically said, okay, you're failing. You've turned this place into a place of thieves. And I'm coming to clean it. And so he comes back, and they're waiting for him. There is a welcome team for Jesus. But it's not like, welcome Lord Jesus. It's like, please stay away. They weren't excited to see him. And then they have this exchange, which leads to the parable I'm going to talk about today. Matthew 21, 23 through 27. It says, And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching. So he came in and just started teaching. And they came up to him and interrupted his teaching. Like, hey, hey, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And they were trying to do a gotcha question. Because if he said, it's by the authority of God, and I am a son of God, then they could go, heretics, and stop him. Now, Jesus answered this question to the disciples, but it's because they truly were wanting to know. But to the Pharisees who were trying to catch him, he's like, I'm not playing this game. 
So Jesus answered them. He said, I, will, I also will ask you one question. And if, I, if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, for where did it come from? From heaven or from man? And at that point, because you know they were planning all night this question. They were like, okay, what's, what are we going to do? Oh, good idea. Get him. And, and they asked the question, and he asked this question back. And you could just see probably a look on their faces. It says, and they discussed it among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we're afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And they got really quiet. But Jesus didn't stop there. He didn't tell them by what authority, but he did later. He goes in, and he shares the parable of the two sons. There's one part of the dialogue, because he goes into this big dialogue where he shares some intense things with the Pharisees, the elders, the chief priests. But there's one part of the dialogue that it starts with that's only found in Matthew. So he just gets over having that interaction, and then he goes into the parable of the two sons. He says, what do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first son and said, Son, go work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, I go. I think the son went like this, I go, I, I love you, Dad. I go. So he said, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? So Jesus is asking the Pharisees and the leaders this. And they said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes Go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your mind and believe him. So he's talking a lot about John. What did John say that the, the tax collectors and prostitutes listened to? And to begin with, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they were the top dogs of that day. They, people looked up to them, and the tax collectors were actually a level below the prostitutes because the tax collectors, what they, they were is the Jews were under Roman control, and the tax collectors worked for the Romans, but as freelancers who charged extra money and basically messed over everybody. That was one of the biggest insults you could give in that day is call somebody a tax collector. They were the low of the low. And so he's saying to these people that think very highly of themselves, hey, 
you're the bad one in this one. And guess what? The tax collector and the prostitutes, they're, they're the heroes in the story. But what did John say? What was John's message that the tax collectors listened to? It says really simply in Matthew, early on it says his message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was to turn around and join the kingdom. He was saying the kingdom is here. Stop what you're doing and join it. And the tax collector said, okay. The prostitute said, okay. The Pharisee said, I like what I'm doing. Actually, the Pharisees said, Lord, I'll do whatever you want. As long as I get to keep doing what I'm doing. I love you, Lord, with all my heart, as long as I get to be comfortable. Don't make me uncomfortable. So what is the kingdom of heaven? It's the realm where Jesus is king. There's going to be a time where the kingdom of heaven is totally manifest on earth, and it's going to be beautiful. Everything will be made right, and it's going to be amazing. But a lot of times when we think of the kingdom of heaven, we think of the future. The kingdom of heaven is here now. Jesus brought heaven to earth. That's why he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom is the realm where Jesus is king. So if Jesus is king in your heart, you are a part of the kingdom of heaven. If Jesus is not king in your heart, even if you believe in him, even if you were born on a church pew, you are not a part of the kingdom of heaven. So the Greek word for kingdom is used 153 times in the New Testament. 53 of those times is in Matthew. Matthew is known as the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew goes into detail about the kingdom. It's not just that he mentions the kingdom more. He goes into detail about the kingdom that's not found in any of the other gospels. So let's go back to the two sons. There's the second son. Yes, I will go. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I love Jesus. Yes, I will follow him. Yes, I'm a part of his kingdom. But there's no movement. There's movement of the mouth, but not of the body. The second son looks good on the outside. It's like a fig tree that looks really great. Ooh, man, I want one of those figs. But there's nothing in it. The second son goes to church, sits in church, and sits in church, and sits in church, and sits in church, and sings, I will give you all my worship, and sits down. Says, I will go, Lord, and sits. The second son sounded good. The first son sounded like a punk. The second son was probably more well-liked in the city. I will go, God. I will go. But there was no fruit. The rest of the verses I'm going to be sharing are, are some of the verses that are only found in Matthew. That the, only in the Gospel of Matthew. And I'm going to explain why later that I'm doing it this way. 
Matthew 7, 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. And there's no exclamation marks in Greek. So when they want to exclaim something, they want to say something passionately, they repeat it. So he's not saying, Lord, Lord, like people going up to me, Lord, Lord, saying, Lord. Saying, not everyone who says to me even praises me loud. Lord Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Matthew 8, 11 through 12 says, I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's an intense verse. Who are the sons of the kingdom? Is he talking? We're children of God. The sons of the kingdom, he's talking to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the people who've been raised up in, in a God-fearing culture, yet they haven't made Jesus king for themselves. There's not fruit in their life. There's not movement. And he's saying, hey, you're going to be thrown out. Well, that sounds mean, Jesus. What would be mean is letting people sit there thinking they're on their way to heaven when they're on their way to hell. Jesus wasn't mean to the Pharisees. Mean would have been let them continue what they're doing. Jesus loved them enough to get in their face. So why, why is there the second son? Why say, I go, and then sit? I think one of the reasons is found in Proverbs, and it's the one verse I'm going to share outside of Matthew. And it's an interesting verse because if you look in different translations, it's translated very differently, the last part of it. Proverbs 29.18 says, in the ESV it says, where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. And the King James Version says, where there's no vision, the people perish. It's a big difference, cast off restraint and perish. What that final Hebrew word means is means to go limp in that word vision every time it is used it's like isaiah had a vision from the lord it's it is a prophetic vision it's not talking about in america where like you need to have a vision for your life what's your five-year plan it's talking about prophetic vision into your life having jesus's view of your life it says where there's no prophetic vision people go limp there's no power. So some of the Pharisees, I think, maybe were sincere. But they hadn't had that encounter with Jesus that transformed them. They hadn't met the king. When you've not had a true encounter with the king, when he has not transformed you, you cannot enter the kingdom by your own merits, no matter how good they are. You can't force fruit. You have to be connected to the vine. Can't, I think some of the Pharisees were sincerely trying to force fruit. No, oh, I'm going to make this grow. But a branch not connected to the vine is not, no matter how hard it works, is not going to produce fruit because the fruit does not come from it. It comes from the vine. Branch's only job is to abide. So Jesus, in talking about the second sons, it's very clear he's talking about the Pharisees because he says it to them. 
he kind of sets them up. He's like, hey, here's the story. Which one? And they're like, well, the first son. He's like, well, you're the second son. Jesus, later on in this conversation with the Pharisees, goes even more intensely into them. He says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourself, nor you allow those that would enter to go in. In Matthew 21, 43, in the same conversation. So he has a conversation with them that goes on for three, three chapters. It says, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people producing its fruit. Ouch. Early on in his ministry, his first sermon, he mentions the Pharisees again. It says, for I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And I think the ones in the audience at that time, some of them we know became believers, and they said, finally someone sees that I'm not righteous. Finally someone sees beyond this facade. I've got a a lot of nice leaves to cover myself with. Started with Adam and Eve, and it continues on today. Got a lot of light, nice leaves to cover myself with, but someone sees that I'm not truly righteous. And some of them turned, but others said, no, I've got to keep the facade. So does yours, does your righteousness exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees? If it's in your own strength, it can't. I'm scared for some of you not talking about specific people, but I know that there's people here that you are that son. You said, I go, I go. But has he transformed you? Are you a part of his kingdom? Believing a dogma does not make you a part of the kingdom. Having a relationship does. So Jesus was speaking to two crowds at the same time. He was warning the Pharisees that their dead religiousness would not save them. But there was one disciple whose ears perked up at that big time, though. Because a lot of times Jesus, when he spoke, he was speaking to one person, but at the same time, he was giving a message to another person. That one disciple wrote it down. This exchange stuck with him for the rest of his life. There's a reason Matthew spoke so much about the kingdom. To understand why this parable was so powerful to him, we need to go back to his first exchange with Jesus, his first encounter. And it's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mark and Luke use Matthew's old name, Levi, which he was called when he encountered Jesus. We don't know the story of how his name changed Levi to Matthew. I believe Jesus changed it because Jesus is a name changer. But Matthew uses Matthew in in this. And he's the only gospel that uses Matthew in this because most times, like when Saul, before Saul was called Paul, Luke wrote Saul. And then the name changed and then became Paul. But there's a reason Matthew did it. We're going to get to that. Matthew 9, 9 through 13. It says, as Jesus passed from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed 
So what it meant to be a tax collector is no one wanted you. The Romans hated you. The Jews hated you. Their job, their money, was what they lived for. That's what they were attached to. And Jesus meets him where he's at. Matthew sitting in the midst of his mess, in the midst of his sin. Jesus says, follow me. Matthew gets up, says, okay. And we know from the other Gospels that Matthew invited Jesus over for dinner that night with his, his friends. And Matthew's friends were other tax collectors and sinners. And this is what happened at that dinner. It says, and as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For it came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Matthew had been living his life for himself. He had consistently told God no. He was, he was that son. No! And he was the son that nobody liked. And as Jesus was talking to those Pharisees, he said, hey, tax collectors, you have to think that Matthew was like, that's me. He was mired in selfishness when Jesus met him. He was attached to a sinful lifestyle. The name Levi means joined to or attached to. The original Levites were attached to the Lord. But for Matthew, it created a new connotation. He was Matthew. He was Levi, the tax collector. That's what he was attached to. There are people here... You have things attached to you. There have been titles you have been given from others, from yourself, from Satan. I'm Josh, the screw-up. I'm Fred, the porn addict. I'm Jenna, the unwanted. I don't know what your titles are. But you wear them. They're attached to you. And when you're attached to something, you can begin to view yourself through it. And others view you through it. But I love the wording of Matthew when he talks about how Jesus called him. And there, Jesus saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. See, he used the name Matthew not because he was talking about his name in the future. It's because Jesus saw. When other people saw Levi, the tax collector, when everyone else saw garbage, Jesus saw Matthew. And what does Matthew mean? It means gift of Jehovah. And so Jesus came to him and saw him where he was at, and it says, and he saw Matthew. And it didn't say Matthew the tax collector, it said Matthew sitting at the tax booth. What he'd been attached to, Jesus said, that's not you, but I'm going to tell you who you are. You are my son, and you are a gift, and I'm going to use you to change the world. Matthew got prophetic vision. He began to see himself, not through the titles the world had given him, not through the titles he'd given himself, not through the lies of the enemy, but through Jesus' words. 
I don't know how you see yourself, but Jesus has a name for you. It's not the names you've attached to yourself. Levi the tax collector was turned into the Apostle Matthew. Tax collectors stood for the epitome of selfishness. Apostle was a political term. It stood for an ambassador. It's for someone who lived for a purpose, not his own. Jesus changed his name and transformed him from the inside out. But Jesus didn't just give him a new name. He redeemed his old name. As Levi, Matthew, attached himself to Jesus, Jesus sanctified his history. In this exchange and various others, when he said, tax collectors and prostitutes will enter the kingdom of God before you, Matthew listened. He said, that's me. That's the history I'm ashamed to talk about. And there's some in here, you have history you're ashamed to talk about. Jesus is saying, hey, this is your history but I can redeem it. When Jesus redeems us, he redeems everything, including our history. So how do I know this stuck with Matthew? This exchange with the Pharisees and why Jesus said it, not just for them, but for him? Because all of the Gospels share a list of the 12 apostles And all of them use Matthew's new name in it. There's one distinction in Matthew's gospel, though. It says the name of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and and Matthew, the tax collector. The apostles were the most revered in church history to the point that people don't like people using that name sometimes because it's like, they're the apostles. And Matthew said, I'm, I'm an apostle, the tax collector, because he saw what Jesus brought him from. And he saw the transformative power of Jesus. And that's why he invited his friends over. He said, This is someone who will look at you and not see the mess that everyone else sees. He'll see a gift. So if you're the son that says, I go. I go, God. Like, if 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 you're the one that looks good on the outside, got to smile. Life's falling apart. How you doing? Blessed brother. Some of you look good on the outside, but you have no fruit. You've learned how to look on, good on the outside. You don't need to do that anymore. Stop faking it. Come to Jesus. Become a true part of his kingdom. He's coming to you in the midst of your mess and saying, follow me. Some of you have been the son like Matthew. No, I will not. Hey, go work in the field. No! We have a lot of kids. Some of our kids kindly tell us no. And there's, there's one of our kids, I'm not going to mention names. They're very, 
not defiant most of the time, but when they are, like, no, I won't. I'm like, oh, thanks. But that son, that's how he said it to his dad. It was, it was a brief. It was not, no, thank you, dad, I'm busy. No, I won't. I'm not going to go. There's some of you that lived your life that way. But you know the truth. And he's coming to you in the midst of your mess and say, says, follow me. You don't have to be attached to those things anymore. You see a Levi, I see a Matthew. I think sometimes we say no because we see, we're looking, we don't have that prophetic vision. We see a Levi and say, I, I can't go. You don't understand I'm attached to these things, God. And Jesus says, hey, no, you're a Matthew. Your gift. And when you get that prophetic vision for yourself, it changes you and it changes the way you view others. And you become a part of his spreading kingdom. Another parable that Matthew talks about and is the only one is the parable of the leaven. It's a brief little parable, but he says a woman puts leaven into, in, into the flour and it leavens the whole loaf. And he said the kingdom of God is like that. It's when you let him change you, it transforms you and it transforms the people around you. Matthew was sent out along with the other apostles and Jesus said, proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So that's what he did the rest of his life. He lived his life as an ambassador of an invisible kingdom. He preached throughout the region after Jesus died and rose again, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And we know from church history that he then moved to Ethiopia to continue share what God had done. He continued to go into towns and look at people and say, hey, you see a Levi, I see a Matthew. Jesus sees a Matthew. And he spread the gospel of the kingdom until he was finally in Ethiopia executed for the sake of the gospel. So he laid down his life. The Apostle Matthew, the tax collector. What's your name? Only one person can tell you that. And I pray that you encounter him. Some of you here, you have a lot of things attached to you. You have a lot of names that Jesus didn't put on you. And he wants to take them off. Some of you have been telling him no for a long time. He says this morning, he's coming to you right where you're at in the midst of your messages, saying, hey, Matthew, who happens to be sitting in this mess, Follow me. So if you're here this morning, and you would say you're either of those sons, you'd say, hey, I, because the other son can very quickly turn into the other one. The one that said yes and didn't go, he can very quickly, Jesus can meet you where you're at. But if you're here and you have, you have things attached to you and you have not said yes to Jesus, I want to challenge you today to do that. There's no magic words. It's what happens in your heart. It's when you go, okay, I'm done. I'm done looking like I have fake fruit. I'm done saying no. 
I've tried everything and I want you, Jesus.